0: Welcome to a special edition of Serving Stories, a podcast by Serve the City, dedicated to sharing stories of how kindness has not been cancelled by the COVID-19 virus. I'm your host, Ani Deal. Instead of our normal, full-length podcast this month, we plan to offer a few shorter stories of COVID kindness over the next weeks. We hope these inspire you, and the friends you might share them with, during this challenging season. What is more Irish than a good old pub sing-song in the Temple Bar District of Dublin? Folk musicians playing the fiddle and the accordion and the whistle and the bowron, Everyone drinking a glass of beer or whiskey and singing traditional songs like When Irish Eyes Are Smiling together at the top of their lungs. But with safety measures in place to prevent the spread of the COVID-19 virus, the bars and restaurants of Temple Bar, and throughout Dublin, are deserted. As in the rest of the world, events have been cancelled, gatherings have been cancelled, normal activities like singing in a pub have been cancelled. But in Dublin, kindness, at least, has not been cancelled.
1: Well, I must say that the partnerships have really become stronger, if anything, uh, since, since the COVID-19 crisis. Um, because everybody took stock of who they were and what they had and what their skill base was. And people were saying, well, you're good at that and we can do that and we can help you here, but can you help us? This is a crisis. We need to do everything we can to help people in, in this uh, this dreadful situation. At the
0: beginning of the crisis, however, the leaders of Serve the City Dublin realized that a lot of their regular activities were going to have to be canceled. A large percentage of their projects involved personal interaction with elderly people and with asylum seekers living communally in federal facilities, people at high risk for infection. On March 10th, as the virus began to spread northwards through Europe, the board of trustees called a meeting to decide what they should do. Ronan Coffey, one of the board members, told us about it.
1: So we decided to immediately halt all our SERP projects, our, our DIY projects, our, our befriending projects, in uh, the interests of, of clients and, and volunteer safety. Um, now, we weren't quite sure at that stage what we were going to do. We knew we didn't want to stop doing everything. We knew we wanted to do something but we, we, we stopped existing projects just to draw breath and to make some decisions of how we go forward.
0: Over the next few days, the board tried hard to figure out how to keep kindness from being cancelled. Their first thought was that they would like to at least keep in contact with some of the vulnerable people they had been helping through what they called virtual befriending.
1: We thought originally that it would be just with our existing clients and probably that our existing volunteers who would know something, you know, that they've done DIY projects could, could make contact with them, you know, probably by phone, just to give them a, a phone call and say, you know, how are you doing? Are, are you okay? Um, and to, just to make contact with them. Um, That has has morphed, and Edwina will tell you more about that. It's got a bit more detail, and there's other nuances.
0: On St. Patrick's Day, March 16th, only a day after they had made this decision, one of the board members, Edwina Dewart, let the team know about a new volunteering opportunity. Edwina, as well as being on the board of Serve the City Dublin, has been the manager of Dublin City Volunteer Centre for the past 10 years, one of four such centres in
2: Ireland. One of the avenues that opened up uh, and this came through my work in the volunteer centre was that the HSE, which is the health service executive, so the National Health Service in Ireland, they were opening a number of COVID-19 testing centres. And one of them that they were opening in South County, Dublin, um, they needed somebody to mobilise volunteers, manage them on site and also assist with some of the documentation that would be required, such as risk assessments, etc. Not only were the health service executive asking for volunteers to serve on the front lines, they needed them mobilised in record time. A day and a half. Actually, we had a day and a half. (laughs) We basically were asked on St. Patrick's Day and we had just over one day's notice. That was a Tuesday. It was opening on the Thursday. And so we had to get volunteers in place um, for that very first weekend. So because it was quite new um, in terms of who we might send out, um, I knew that I could turn to serve the city. And so hence I asked the board um, and the others there if if they would help in terms of mobilising volunteers for that very first weekend until we were able to put some of the supports and structures in place. And it wasn't just a tiny handful of volunteers needed either. We worked out in terms of the test centre that we're based in that we would need five to six volunteers per shift and two shifts per day. So the centre works um, 7 days a week so that's 84 volunteers per week um that we had to source and over the first couple of weeks that we have been involved approximately 40 volunteers um have helped out and as i say um Several volunteers have been repeat volunteers and a number of volunteers, including from Serve the City, ha- um, have just continued to come back. Clearly, working at a COVID
0: testing site is not a volunteering opportunity for the faint-hearted.
2: Obviously, there's, um, I suppose, a, a small potential risk there, although we have done comprehensive risk assessments. Um, but I think people are just so willing to to put themselves out there on the front line.
1: I mean, literally, they were putting themselves in harm way. Yes, I mean, they had protective, uh, they had visors, they had masks, they had gloves, etc. But still, they were obviously at the cold face in um, interacting with people who, you know, the, the majority of would have the COVID-19 virus.
0: We were pretty curious to meet the kind of person who would sign up for a project like this.
3: So my name is Anne-Marie Stone. Um, I'm connected with Serve the City. I was helping out with coordinating um, of some of their projects. I've only been with them for a couple of months, and uh, that's how I ended up with them. Anne-Marie
0: was one of the people who signed up on the day after the St. Patrick's call. She has gone back many times since and is now one of the team leaders on the project.
3: Um, About five times a week, um, about five days a week. I'm also working from home, so I have to obviously make sure that um, my work is is done and doesn't suffer in the meantime. It's a mobile testing centre and as people drive up
2: for their test, the security guards check them at the gate and they must have this unique identifier to be allowed in. So once once they're allowed in, we then just direct them to a car park s- space. We're given a list of forms with the appointments and the bio data. So we have to go over and hand a pack and ask people to put on a mask. And then we take
3: uh, uh, data from them and confirm the data that we have on the sheet. So we greet them and take their names, introduce ourselves and We get their form to take some information from them. A lot of people coming in are either, you know, quite worried, quite scared. Everything is very unsure. And coming into that environment as well, I can't imagine coming into that while sick or potentially having um, the COVID-19 virus because you, you drive into a car park and we're wearing, you know, gloves and masks and there's tents
1: set up and it's all very... Uh, surreal. Some parents would come and they'd have their kids in the back of the car because they couldn't leave their kids at home and, you know, our volunteers were saying that when they they drove in and and the kids saw the people in masks and with the the gowns and the hoods, some of them began to scream and cry. It was a frightening experience.
0: As Anne-Marie recounts, it can be a surreal and
3: sometimes disturbing experience for the volunteers as well. One particular one that sticks in my mind is a large transit van uh, came into the car park there was an elderly man driving and he pulled in and stopped Um, I was uh, acting as team leader on that day so the man got out of the van and then went around to the back of the van the volunteers were shocked as it had
0: been made clear to people that no one was supposed to even roll down their window all the way, let alone get out of the vehicle.
3: So um, one of the other volunteers that was with me that day went over to assist because the man had opened the back door of the van wide open and they were all looking inside the back of this van. I kind of stood back and just you know, from a distance observed what was happening. The person being tested was actually in the back of the van sitting in an armchair and he was so unwell he couldn't he couldn't get up he couldn't get out of the van um he wasn't able to sit in the front um he had to be put in this this armchair in the back um and he just looked so sick um it was really quite sobering to see of course most of the
0: people coming to the testing site were feeling unwell but this was the first time the volunteers
3: had seen someone with such advanced symptoms a lot of people that come in you know they look you know a bit sick they look fluey they look like they have cold symptoms you know there's different things you see but oh this this particular gentleman looks this man looks like he should be in a hospital already and so that's probably the um the the biggest one that sticks in mind
0: For the volunteers at the testing centre, though, helping with the logistics of preparing people to be tested was only part of what they were
3: really doing. It's not just the side of collecting their information and making sure they're in their correct slot and everything is running smoothly, but to try and put people's minds at ease and try and, I suppose, humanise what is such a weird situation. It's so strange to be talking to someone where you're wearing a mask, you've given them a mask to put on. So they're wearing a mask and you're talking to them through a window. So there's a lot of barriers there between you and them to start with. And I guess it's just trying to find ways to to normalise a very strange situation. Anne-Marie described for us one of these times. Another day a lady pulled in and um, I was doing meet and greet. Um I went to take her information, gave her her pack with her mask and everything and when I came back to take her information she was visibly just trembling and you know, tripping over her words and you know she was obviously just very very nervous. So um. We started into it, confirmed her information and, you know, just tried to um, reassure her again that, you know, everything was okay. Um, And it turned out she was a cabin crew for quite a big airline. And so at the time we were taking their travel history and she started to list off all the places she'd been in the last month. And as she went on, she just, I think, got more and more frantic in her own mind that, you know, remembering, oh, oh my God, I was there, I was there, I was there. Um, So again, it's... It's difficult in the moment because you're thinking, oh, this this poor person has been to all these places and some of these places have quite high counts of infection at the moment. But at the same time, you know, trying to make them feel comfortable, make them feel safe and, you know, just have a conversation about that. So little things like, oh, you, I've never been there. It's like after this is all over, I'll have to book a holiday. Um, little things like that. So in the end, it was actually... I suppose one of the nicer situations, she um, just thanked me for, for letting her rant. Um, she had a family at home that she'd been isolating herself from. So she, it was very nice to, to be told that I made at least a little bit of a difference <laughs> um, on that day. As both Edwina
0: and Anne-Marie confirm, it is a challenge to try to make people feel welcome when so much of your face is covered up. But the volunteers have found that when Irish eyes are smiling,
2: they are able to communicate calm. But I think in terms of just being able to, you know, greet somebody by name, and just kind of reassure them, smile. Obviously, we're wearing masks, but I think they can still see, you know, whether somebody from your eyes are smiling or not, and just provide that little bit of of assurance to
3: people. Personally, um, I find that when you use someone's name, it just adds a personal element straight away. Using someone's name, you know, immediately kind of builds a little bit of a bond. You tell them your name. you know you smiling I know it sounds silly because we're all wearing masks and you can't see our faces but um even there was a couple of days it was very very sunny and I had sunglasses on but I'd move the sunglasses so that at least someone can see your eyes and you can tell if someone is is you know smiling and welcoming and you know try and keep I guess kind of in an upbeat tone when
2: you're talking to them. I think that's been one of the really positive things that we've been able to do. Sometimes in volunteer management, we talk about what's called the luxury of focus. And that means if you have an extra team of volunteers in, that they can sometimes lift the burden off, um, say the frontline staff, and just be able to provide that little bit of focus, that luxury of focus, um, on, on people that we are serving. And I think I think that's what we've been able to do. It's not very big, but I think it does make a small difference to people.
0: Meanwhile, about a week after the opening of the testing centres, another volunteer opportunity had opened up for Serve the City volunteers as government response to the pandemic invoked tighter safety measures.
2: On the 27th of March, our Taoiseach, um, the Prime Minister, um, Leo Vradkar, he announced new containment measures for Ireland. And so effectively what they are called um, is cocooning. So anybody who is 70 plus or in one of the... um, at-risk categories the advice is that they need to stay at home. Trust the Irish to call what others would call confinement or lockdown
0: or quarantine a cozy and comfortable sounding name like cocooning. However not all of these at-risk people had family or neighbours to help
2: supply their needs during their time of cocooning. So in line with that announcement on Friday the 27th of March On the Monday, uh, the 30th of March, these call centres opened up right across Ireland in each local council. And so if somebody is cocooning Um, they can ring their local authority, their local council, and basically explain their cocooning, they need their fuel or they need their prescription or their shopping. And so in turn, the community call centres, they then will work through a series of local groups on the ground. So in one part of Dublin at the minute, in South Dublin, Serve the City is fulfilling that role. Fortunately, as Ronan
0: told us, Serve the City already had just the right guy in place to help match cocooning clients with volunteers who could lend them the needed help.
1: Brad is our administrator and he has been operating virtually uh, for the last uh, six weeks or so. Um, he's, he's located actually in the west of Ireland, so but it doesn't matter. He, he, he can operate from anywhere. Um, and he has taken to this role with, with Gusto. He's a background in process management in, in logistics. And quite honestly, as the numbers have been ramping up of, of clients and the volunteers, we wouldn't have been able to cope without his unique skills uh, for the job.
4: So I'm relatively new to serve the City Island. I joined in November um, of last year. My son and I are here in, in Ireland for a couple of different reasons, and I must be honest, I absolutely enjoyed my time with, with Serve the City and couldn't have imagined at the beginning of February what I would be doing right now in the in the throes of April. We have um, volunteers going out on a daily basis now, delivering meals, doing grocery shopping for the marginalized, for the elderly, for those who are cocooned as well, and we we we're doing well and we're picking up a lot of clients and helping a lot of people. So still very much in the administration and coordination role, but it's it's growing by the day and I'm loving the challenge.
0: This is Brad Wilmot, who, like Edwina, found that in order to meet this new challenge, he needed not only to mobilize their present Serve the City volunteers, but also to put out an urgent call
4: for new ones. We realized earlier in the course of this week, early part of April, that we were going to, to have a situation where our demand was going to exceed our supply, so to speak. And so through the different volunteer centers within Dublin, we were able to recruit um, in fact, just over 100 volunteers in a matter of four days. We expect that to increase. Our pipeline at the moment is possibly an additional 200 in the next few days. So quite possibly from a new volunteer perspective, by middle of next week, close to 300 new people.
0: Even though Brad is living on the other side of the country now, he finds that he is able to assure frightened people that help is only a phone call away.
4: And my role is really to contact some of them and to say, you know, what can we do to help? What is it that you need? I remember last week speaking to one of our first new clients, her husband had just been released from hospital. He had a treatment for cancer, obviously absolutely terrified because his immune system was, was so weakened by his whole journey. And there's a situation saying she didn't want to leave the house, she was scared about meeting people, who to trust. You know what what would happen? What were the protocols? Would you have to let people into a house or not and it was just fantastic to be able to say, "Don't worry, we'll sort it out for you and I managed to find one of our regular volunteers who I've known from our DIY projects, allocated um, our our good volunteer to this lady. And within a day, she was was smiling and happy. And indeed, um, our volunteer was kind enough to even go out to one of our specialist supermarkets here in Ireland and to actually pick up some, some special grocery items for the new diet that our client is on following his cancer treatment.
0: Brad is also responsible for thinking through how to apply protocols laid down by the health service and to communicate these to the volunteers who are helping. Things like social distancing in the shops and with the clients, wearing gloves, using new grocery bags, and so on. Sometimes developing these systems is quite complicated. For instance, how to develop a good payment protocol for clients who don't have debit or credit cards and must use cash. Because of the vulnerable situations surrounding people who are cocooning, all of these safety precautions are doubly important.
4: It's very poignant today for me because we have indeed had our first client who was diagnosed just this week with COVID-19. So it was very sobering for me to speak to that client on on the phone and to hear how distressed she was and at the same time to think, gosh, what do we do now? So everything that is happening, certainly from my perspective, from a coordination um, point of view has been having to think about if I was in that situation, what would work or what wouldn't work? And how would I feel as the shopper? And how would I feel as, as the client?
0: And just as with the volunteer role at the COVID testing center, there's a lot more going on than a simple exchange of goods and services.
4: One of the interesting things is that um, the group of clients that we've got right now are not necessarily tech savvy. So things as social media, even WhatsApp, is quite a challenge for a lot of these people. Truthfully, out of all of the clients that we've onboarded in the last while, only one of them is using email. So all of the things such as watching podcasts or being able to scroll through emails, Facebook, things like that, we're not picking up that these are actually available to our, our clients. What they're enjoying is knowing that there's somebody reliable at the other end of the phone. Because it is wonderful to know that there's somebody at the other end of a mobile number, somebody that can phone and say, you know, I've run out of fruit and vegetables. So I believe that as this process is maturing, it's still quite embryonic, but as it will mature, I I do believe that we will automatically move from doing something such as a grocery shop into somewhat of a shop and befriending role, where we are actually gonna be playing more of a pivotal role in that person's life.
0: Brad has also been impressed with the intense motivation of these volunteers to help. One of the volunteers, Mary, sent this voice message.
2: Hi, my name is Mary. I have volunteered to be a shopper as
0: part of South Dublin County Council's Community Call Initiative. The past weekend, I shopped for Rosalie in Tala, and for James in Clondalkin. I shopped in their local supermarket so that they get the brands and products they like. Uh, cocooning is really tough on people, but there is help out there. It only took an hour or two of my time, but I'm really glad to have been able to help.
4: I can't say... That I've had a problem motivating any volunteer. Truthfully, I pick up the phone, I introduce myself, the buy in is immediate, absolutely immediate, and it They're often quicker than I am in terms of responding by a WhatsApp or by an email, even phoning me back directly within a couple of minutes to say, I've done it. I've done it. You know, this person will be fine by nine o'clock tomorrow, by 11 o'clock tomorrow. Oh, by the way, I'm shopping for the person next door and I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that. I'm going to get the next thing.
0: We asked Anne-Marie, the volunteer at the COVID testing site, what was her motivation for taking on such a challenging task?
3: That's a great question. Everyone I know has asked me that question. Um... So for me, um, I guess uh, volunteering makes me happier in general. Um, I'm not saying I I skip and jump when I'm leaving the testing centre, but just knowing that something I've done in my day, in my week, in my month, you know, will make a small impact in a positive way um, makes me happier. So when I found out about this opportunity, um at first yeah it was it was very oh my god it's it's a testing center they want they want to put people in a testing center. What are they talking about um but it it kind of started then to to sink in that you know what they they need people there, and the the health service needs our support. Anne Marie also realized that she was in a unique position to be able to carry out this role, and I'm very lucky to be in a situation that I'm able to go. I'm healthy. Um, I'm young. Um, I live alone. So there's very little possibility of me, even if I do get sick, the possibility of me transmitting that onto other people is is very slim. So I guess I, I looked at it from a point of view that there are a lot of people who point blank can't do this, even if they wanted to, they couldn't. The risk would be much too high. They have elderly people who they live with. They have sick people who they share a house with. Um, You know, they are in a position where they would have to care for elderly relatives or help out with, you know, doing their shopping or whatever. So for me, I just felt like I'm in a very good situation. Um, if I do get sick, the likelihood of it being terribly serious is, well, touch wood, uh, quite low. And if I do get sick, the chance of me uh, transmitting that on to someone else is also quite low. And just as the volunteers
0: are bringing support to those who suspect that they have the disease and meeting needs for social contact among the elderly, Anne-Marie finds that volunteering is helping meet her own needs to connect with others. As I said,
3: I live alone and I've been isolating and it means that I can go and talk with the other volunteers and the nurses and you know meet with people safely with all of our PPE on and have a cup of tea and have that social element that you know I I can't really have in another way right now so yeah I'm definitely getting something out of it probably some days more getting out of it than I am putting in so There's a selfish element too. (laughs) I doubt
0: most of us would describe what Anne-Marie is doing as selfish, but it does go to show that the benefits of volunteering, even under these crisis conditions, are not all one-sided. This is what Brad had to say at the end of his interview when we asked him, as we always do, if there was anything else he wanted to say.
4: I'd like to say thank you. And I mean that because I'm in a situation where I'm trying to learn about a new country and trying to raise my son into a new culture. And I honestly could not think of a better and more rewarding way to learn about the Irish, about the way of life in this beautiful country, and at the same time know that I'm helping people. And gosh, what else could you wish for? Um, arriving in a country and trying to make your way and and get to know people and learn about people. And for me, that's that's been a gift. I thank all of the directors of Serve the City in Ireland because they've allowed me to to, to stretch my wings and, and, and to contribute as much as I want to, to work as hard as I've wanted to work. But it's a beautiful, healthy relationship where I put in and the directors have put in. And truthfully, it goes beyond that to say, this is what the volunteers and the clients have put in. And for me to have found such joy and such reward at a point In my life, where I'm leaving one country and trying to make a life in a second country, that for me is a gift, which is unparalleled.
0: The lyrics of the old song go, When Irish eyes are smiling, sure tis like the morn in spring. This spring, as the people of Dublin face the pandemic, part of what will bring them through to the other side are the smiling eyes of volunteers for whom
2: kindness has not been cancelled. Well, well, indeed, like when Irish eyes are smiling, maybe it is that thing. It, It sort of reminds me a little as well that the other week we had a particularly busy morning. Lots of people were showing up early and so they have to park in the car park, but, you know, the car spaces were getting full and we were trying to manage the queue as best we could then one of the security guards called me over and there was three young boys at the gate normally people would come in the car but occasionally people come on foot but anyway there was three boys at the gate and two of them had an appointment one was nine and one was 16 and they were with their 18 year old brother their parents were both in hospital after having tested positive for for COVID-19. And so the 18 year old was bringing his two brothers to be tested, but one of them who was nine, it was his birthday that day. And so obviously it's a very surreal situation, but he was so brave. So we brought them over again. Obviously they can't park, they're on foot. So we have to sort of put them in this little special marquee until they can be called into the tent on foot. But the little boy, just as he was going into the tent, the nine year old, we all sang happy birthday for him. And I think, you know, it's just sort of small little things like that. So in a way, as you might say, you know, the Irish eyes are smiling, or at least we try to bring some sense of, I think humanity into it all.
4: I have to say that one thing struck me when I arrived in, in Ireland, and that was the kindness and the benevolence of the Irish. And I can say to you, eight months later, in this beautiful country, that is what I'm still seeing in the nation of Ireland.
0: Thanks for joining us today on this special edition of Serving Stories. If this story inspired you, please share it with someone else to encourage them and subscribe, rate and comment so others can find it as well. We will be back very soon with more stories of kindness in the season of COVID 19. I have been your host, Ani Deal. Serving stories this week was written and produced by Shannon Deal. Technical production and theme music by Parker Deal. Designed by Jeremy Malengro. Special thanks to the Serve the City Dublin team for sparing us the time for interviews during this challenging and busy season. Keep safe. Keep on serving and keep sharing your stories.